This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, and welcome to episode one of season seven. It is good to be back behind the mic, and uh, I'm really excited today to talk to you about 11 mistakes that I see teachers and schools making when it comes to teacher health and wellbeing and resilience. Uh, And, oh, this is a big one, and and, um, I guess these are things that I've started to notice over the years these are things definitely a lot of these mistakes I've made myself so please do not feel like I'm up here on some pedestal pointing the finger at all of you I'm uh, absolutely a flawed human being just like the rest of them but yeah I think this really it can be really handy for us to just be aware of some of these mistakes so that we can catch ourselves when we are making them course correct when we need to and also hopefully if possible try and avoid them next time right But before we get to the guts of this episode, I really want to tell you about a few exciting updates, a few changes that have happened uh, since the last episode of season six. Uh, So I've got a few exciting new things happening around the Self-Care for Teachers headquarters. Got a new website, which is pretty cool. It's not quite finished um, transferring all the old, mainly the old blog posts and that sort of content over yet, but the kind of mainframe of the website is done and I'm really, really happy with it and It was very much in need of a refresh after, gosh, nearly five years of, yeah, and my digital skills have come a very, very, very long way in the last five years. So I'm pretty happy with this new version. It's nice to just get a bit of a makeover, right? So the other thing is in September, you possibly saw that I ran a uh, video training. It's called Cultivating Extraordinary Wellbeing without adding to your already full to-do list. And the replay of that or the recording is now up on my course website. So I will pop a link in the description below of this episode. But you can also go to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash cultivating to grab the recording of that because it was really good. I think it's one of the best trainings I've ever put together. I'm really proud of it. So I really want to get it in as many hands as possible. So yeah, I hope you enjoy that. And obviously we all have a lot to do. So it's great to think about ways that we can improve our well-being without actually adding to the to-do list. Always a challenge. The other thing that's coming up is I have been having a lot of conversations this year, but particularly in the last couple of months with well-being champions in schools. So people reaching out to me for sometimes just for coaching for themselves, but also often for some extra resources and, and wanting some extra help or wanting to be pointed in the right direction for how they can support their colleagues um, at work because they have either officially been appointed uh, in a well-being, a staff well-being role at their school or, you know, sometimes it's an unofficial thing. Sometimes they're just, you know, the well-being person at school that everybody turns to. But often it is actually these days I'm starting to see a bit of a trend that this is, this is a thing now. Um, we have... I think transitioned from that, you know, way back when I started self-care for teachers where we were pretty much only talking about student well-being. Now I think the staff well-being, the teacher well-being thing is really much more mainstream. And now I know that it's not everywhere yet, 
but it is much more mainstream and a lot of schools I'm seeing starting to put staff wellbeing on the agenda and and a lot of the way they're doing that is particularly in state schools is by having some kind of a committee you know wellbeing committee or just having a wellbeing coordinator kind of person and these are often volunteer roles it's on top of your already full to-do list and so I've been having some chats with some wellbeing champions and talking about ways to best support them but also to support each other right because we are stronger together you are not alone you do not have to do it all alone and you also don't have to reinvent the wheel so I've put together uh, what I'm hoping will be the first of many wellbeing champion meetups it's a virtual meetup so you can join from anywhere in Australia to really one to network and get to know some other people in your you know in a similar role in different schools in different states to kind of get a bit of perspective on how things maybe are happening around the country and in different schools because obviously the way every school does this is different which is actually important because we want schools to be you know adopting things that work in their context and making sure that it's kind of differentiated to the staff and the situation that your staff is in but also I know that it can be very 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 challenging when there are a lot of maybe context issues at your school to then feel like, oh, now everybody's well-being is resting on my shoulders. And that is not the case. Even if you are the only person in the school who's kind of doing anything about the staff well-being agenda, other people's well-being is actually not on your shoulders. You do not have responsibility for anybody else's well-being. We all have responsibility for ourselves. Obviously, also, there are some big external things that none of us can control individually, you know, decisions that governments make about lockdowns or remote learning and also just curriculum changes and like national education policy and that sort of thing. Like those are external things that we can't control individually. So, you know, we all have that balance between the stuff that we can't control and the stuff that we can, which is our own, really only our own selves, and then the things that we can influence. So it's about our circle of influence and our circle of concern, which comes from the work of Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. A really great book, highly recommend it. But so even getting together with people who are in a similar role in a different school, in a different state even, can help. One, you can share resources. We can, you know, make this a really collaborative approach so that you're not reinventing the wheel and so that this role is not adding to your already full workload, but also so that you can feel not alone and so that you can realise that, well, hey, other people have challenges in these roles as well because sometimes I'm not saying this is the case across the board, but I have now seen a bit of a pattern when there's a well-being champion in the school, again, whether official or unofficial, then sometimes they get dumped on a lot. (laughs) It's like, well, you're the well-being person, you can handle that. Or people come and just tell them all and unload all their problems on them. And that can actually be tricky to manage as well. So I'm looking at putting together some resources to support you in that role, but I also really just want to facilitate some conversations. And so I'm having, yeah, a virtual meetup. It's going to, I've got two different options for time because again, I know we have some different time zones around the country and people have different schedules. So there is a Wednesday, the 18th of November at 4pm Queensland time. And then there's also a session on Saturday, the 21st of November at 10am Queensland time. So hopefully there's some options for you there. I know that Either time is not going to suit everyone and, I, you know, time zones and putting on a time for something like that is tricky, I know. I'd also like to hear your feedback if you would want something like that put on in school time. Obviously, I know that it gets challenging because sometimes then you can't get released from class to attend things like this. So I really wanted to try and put it on some times where 
people will be hopefully able to attend because they just won't have to ask for permission. But maybe in 2021, it will actually end up being a an in-school thing so that you actually say to the principal or whoever, well, I'm, you know, you've made me the wellbeing champion here. Give me two hours off to go to this this virtual event so that I can network with my peers and kind of support and get some resources and, and share best practices and all of that sort of thing. So like I said, 18th and 21st of November, School Wellbeing Champions Meetup. You can go to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash wellbeing champion, or there's going to be a link in the description of this podcast episode. So love to see you there. And definitely like DM me on Instagram or email me hello at selfcareforteachers.com.au if you are interested in more along those lines. Because like I said, I'm seeing it as a trend and I really want to support you because I don't think this is going away. But I also think it's a challenging role to be in when it's on top, it's a volunteer position and it's on top of your already, you know, full workload. So really want to hear more about how I can support you in those roles. And then the other thing that is really exciting in my world is the Self-Care for Teachers School Staff Wellbeing and Resilience Sessions, which kind of, it could be something that if you are in the Wellbeing Champion role at your school, this is how it came about actually, is from some Wellbeing Champions in a, in a Queensland school who reached out to me and asked me to put something together for their school. And I did, and it, and it went really well. So I've, I've put together this online training that is designed for your staff to do together on a pupil-free day or in a twilight session or even in a staff meeting. It could even be, you know, it's a 45-minute video training and then, you know, there's some opportunity for some other activities, but you can do those activities at home if you want or you could do them the next week. It doesn't all have to be in the same staff meeting. So in-person presentations are available in Queensland, but there is a an online training option available Australia-wide and I'm doing some tiered pricing options so that it's equitable and accessible and affordable for particularly for small schools so that you know the big city schools with hundreds of hundreds of staff you know it's fair pricing for them as well as fair for the three teacher school that's a thousand kilometers from the nearest capital city so tiered pricing options so that small schools and state schools can access the training equitably and really I'm really excited about this training I said that the cultivating extraordinary well-being training is one of the best trainings I've ever put together and I would say the same about this one so these are the top two I suppose So I'm taking bookings now for the January 2021 student free days and yeah, get in touch. Hello at selfcareforteachers.com.au. Really excited about this. And the fact that it was pre-recorded means that it's not limited to my availability, right? You can, you know, we can sort it out on a day that suits your school, but also there was some really unexpected benefits of the fact that it wasn't live. And obviously we all have Zoom fatigue, we all have screen fatigue, but There were some really unexpected benefits of the pilot school that I ran this in. The fact that it wasn't live, it meant that people were able to actually engage in a different way with the content because they actually didn't have to worry at all about how, you know, as an audience member, you're kind of aware of your facial expressions and how you're being perceived and engaging with the presenter and that sort of thing which is even absolutely amplified on Zoom because you're really aware that like if you've got your video on on Zoom or on any other kind of online platform, you know, that's why Zoom fatigue has become a real thing in 2020 because because it is actually more exhausting to be an audience member on a online training where people can see your face than it is to be in person. So the the kind of pre-recorded nature of it, the fact that I mean I, in Queensland, I would love to do this live for your staff as well, but yeah, the fact that it wasn't live was actually an unexpected benefit because it meant that people could relax, switch off their kind of social face, if that makes sense, 
and actually just really just engage with the content. So like I said, I'm really proud of this training. I can't wait to bring it to your school staff so that, you know, together we can transform the well-being of Australia's teaching and non-teaching school staff one school at a time. Really, really looking forward to that. So taking bookings now for January 2021 Student Free Days, get in touch. And yeah, so those are the three things I wanted to tell you about. The Cultivating Extraordinary Wellbeing Training, the School Wellbeing Champions Meetup, and the uh, School Staff Resilience and Wellbeing Sessions that I am taking bookings now for. So let's talk about the 11 mistakes teachers and schools make when it comes to teacher well-being and resilience. So number one, and this is a huge one, waiting until some time in the future when the situation is better and therefore it will be a more perfect time to make the changes or implement something or have a conversation that's difficult or just essentially it's a kind of procrastination But it also comes from this sense that somebody else is going to solve the problem. It's not my problem to solve. So yeah, this idea of waiting until I've talked about it before, I obviously, you know, share about this in the three thinking traps episode, the three thinking traps that are sabotaging your well-being, which is way back in, I think the end of season four, I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to that. But this sense that we waiting until sometime in the future when then we will be able to prioritize our health and well-being or make sure that we you know put ourselves first or make the changes that we want to make and yes timing is a thing it is fair and reasonable to say well there's one week left until school holidays and I've got to get the the report cards done so I'm not going to begin this new habit change this week I'm going to wait till next week but don't make that every single term waiting until the school holidays do you know what I mean? Do you feel the nuance there? So waiting until is the biggest biggest mistake that I see teachers and schools making, waiting essentially for somebody else to solve the problem or for the situation to resolve on its own so that it's easier, it's not going to be as hard. And actually that pretty much sets us up for not making the change ever or for things staying as they are, staying stuck, which sucks. So waiting until is mistake number one. Mistake number two is not taking into account personality and you know not accepting that we have different preferences, different strengths and weaknesses, different styles, that we're all in different seasons of life and then not differentiating our health and wellbeing practices accordingly. So again, I've talked about this one before. This is episode 18 of season one. I'll put a link in the show notes all about how we can differentiate our self-care and how we need to actually because it's not one size fits all. So that is mistake number two, not taking into account personality and personal differences. I mean, this is a really big one in the school space because I see schools often wanting to put in blanket rules around, you know, nobody takes any work home or everybody must do it X, Y, Z way. And actually, that's not always helpful because people are in different seasons of life. People have different preferences, different strengths and weaknesses, et cetera, et cetera. And where possible, I think it's always good to allow individual choice, but also we want to make sure that we're kind of we're checking in with ourselves and actually working out, is this working for me or not? And, and, you know, does this kind of approach that I'm currently taking or this habit that I'm trying to change or what, whatever the thing is that we're trying to work on, does it actually take into account who I am and my reality? You know, am I trying to apply something that is completely unrealistic in the situation? Am I trying to expect myself to be, you know, behaving in a way that doesn't fit with my current season of life? You know, am I expecting something of myself that's actually unfair right now and or am I forcing myself to go to some you know 
do some exercise or some well-being habit that I actually dislike because if I don't like it, I'm not going to do it, right? So actually, is there a way that I could just tweak this to be something that I like? An example for myself that where that often comes up is exercise uh, because I'm married to an exercise physiologist and he's very sporty and he loves team sport. I hate team sport. Not that I hate team sport. I've always enjoyed it. You know, I used to play netball in high school and whatever, but as an adult, the team aspect and feeling obligated to the team really does not work for me anymore. I would much rather do some kind of individual exercise where, you know, it's up to me how hard I push. There's no competition. It's not not letting the team down if I can't be there or if I miss a shot, you know, and that loses us the game. Whereas I know some people really, really love that. That really motivates them, the competition, the social aspect of it, et cetera. So yeah, just take into account who you are, your personality, your preferences, and the season of life that you're in. Mistake number three is continually raising the bar. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't have high expectations of ourselves, but I am saying that, again, we need to kind of be not just realistic, but fair. And we need to be not raising the bar too soon or adding too many habits in at once. One way that I often see this play out with clients is that, you know, we'll have one session at the start of the month and they'll say, all right, these are the habits that I want to do, you know, this month. I want to go to Pilates three times a week and I want to make sure that I'm having my green juice every day and I want to be meditating every day and I also want to make sure that I'm calling my mum every week and visiting my grandma and and they just list off like 15 things. I'm like, whoa, how many of these are you doing right now? Oh, none of them. Okay, well, let's just start with one or two and we'll get those habits, you know, really solidly ingrained before we add any more. And so we just do one or two and then the next session might be two weeks later and they have managed to stick to those new habits for two weeks. So now they want to add in the other 13. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Let's go slow to go fast. Does that make sense? Let's make sure that these habits are really properly habits before we start adding to them. And also, let's make sure, and usually with teachers, I would say, let's give it a full term before you decide that you've got this down pat and you can add in another 13 habits on top. Because, you know, we know that the wheel of the school year, there are sort of boom and bust times or or peak and trough times where if you can keep up that habit, that meditation habit or that green juice everyday habit or whatever it is that you're trying to do, if you can keep that up in the school holidays, yeah, that's not an indication that it's going to stick with you through to week nine of the next term. So let's actually see it through a full kind of term cycle and assessment and reporting cycle before we decide that we've got that down pat, we're going to add other things in. So that mistake that I see people making is continually raising the bar and adding too many things in, which you know, just sets you up for failure because it, it's overwhelming and because our lives are already very, very full. So that's the mistake that I want you not to do. I want you to go slow to go fast. Just pick one or two things that you think, okay, these are going to make the biggest difference and just make sure that they stick before you start adding anything else in. Okay. Mistake number four is thinking that it will just happen without any planning. And this is usually one that I think we're making unconsciously. Because as soon as you think consciously about it, of course, I'm not just going to achieve amazing well-being without any kind of focus or planning. It's not just going to drop into my lap. And we know that consciously, but unconsciously, I do actually think a lot of the time we're kind of rocking around thinking, oh, yeah, 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 that'll just happen. And that can also be a part of that mistake number one, the waiting until kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, like 
next year, that's I'll just have that perfect. So we're just kind of waiting until thinking that it will just happen without doing any planning. So the number one thing that you can obviously do to flip that is to put some focus and attention on your well-being habits and goals and do a little bit of planning because, you know, that's obviously the opposite of just thinking it will just happen without doing any planning. So that's mistake number four. Mistake number five is comparisonitis. And I did already mention this, I think, but comparing to people in other stages of their career or other phases of life or people with different needs and preferences and strengths and weaknesses. We as teachers are very, very good at this. I see it in the teacher gram. You know, I see the perfect Instagram feeds with the beautifully decorated classrooms that just look like they're neat and tidy all the time. And it can be so easy, especially if you feel like that's not what your classroom looks like at the best of times. It can be so easy to, you know, get stuck in comparisonitis there. But I also see it all the time with my coaching clients who are comparing themselves to people who are different to them. You know, the introverts comparing themselves to the extroverted teachers and the you know, early stage career teachers comparing themselves and their teaching practice to the highly experienced teachers with 20 years under their belt who are just like all over everything in the classroom or the the highly experienced teachers with a lot of extra, you know, family responsibilities now that they're in that different phase of life where they might have, you know, kids and also parents that they might be caring for, comparing themselves to the, you know, the teacher that doesn't have any of those extra outside of work responsibilities. So, that comparing ourselves to others, whether it's people with fancy Instagram feeds or people with different, you know, just different personalities and different needs and people in different stages of career and life, that is a real trap. Um, and it's a real, I think it's a mistake that keeps us stuck because it keeps us focusing. And this is going to be number six. It keeps us focusing on what we don't have instead of what we do. What we don't have control of instead of what we do. So number six, mistake number six is focusing on the problem instead of the solution. And that can look like victim mindset. It can look like, you know, a real just constant complaining. And it can also look like blaming others. Uh, So I think the way that I probably see this the most, and like I said, I've absolutely been here myself, so I get it. But it is that constant complaining and whinging and moaning and bitching in the staff room all the time. And this has absolutely been me in my, you know, not so well-being moments. So I get it. And we all, you know, like we all need a debrief. We all need a bit of a vent sometimes, but there are ways and means to do that. And there's certainly professional ways to do that and unprofessional ways to do that. Ask me one day about the time when I uh, was bitching about another staff member and they walked into the staff room and heard me. I not one of my finest moments at all and I was absolutely in the wrong and they were absolutely right to uh, call me out for that. And so that focusing on the problem also what it does is it keeps us focused on what we don't have control over. And this can also look like just constantly being, you know, thinking about and complaining about the broader challenges of education that we can't do anything about. Education policy, education funding, you know, decisions that governments and departments make that absolutely impact us. I'm not saying they don't impact you, right? I'm not at all telling you to just shake it off. It doesn't matter. It does matter. But staying focused there keeps you stuck in the problem instead of solution focused where we can actually shift and go, right, well, this is where I'm at. What do I have control over? What do I have power over? What am I going to do? Given that this is the situation that I'm in and it might be a really sucky situation and maybe, yes, it's all very unfair, 
and it's all very problematic, these, you know, structural issues in our education system, 100% with you there, but now here where I am, me one person, what can I do in this situation, in my school, in my life, what can I actually change here and now? And then mistake number seven is when I, again, I know you've heard me talk about this before, but it is ignoring the body. The fact that we are whole human beings with brains and bodies and hearts and souls often escapes us because many teachers are very, very in our heads, you know, we're very cerebral. Again, this is absolutely my story. I totally get it. And it's not to say that the mind doesn't matter. We know the mind matters. Positive psychology is fantastic. You know, I talked a lot about this in the well-being equation episode of season five, where I talked about like positive psychology, but also positive physiology. So I'll put a link for that in the show notes as well. But, you know, we often, the mistake that we make as teachers is we ignore our body and then our body, which has some really basic human needs, like, you know, it's the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We've ignored those basic needs and then we wonder why our mind is struggling because we haven't been fueling it properly. But also we deserve to feel good in our bodies as well. And I think that's a message that, is really complicated and difficult for many reasons. So we ignore our body and and it means that we kind of can stay focused only on the strategies for mindset and, you know, positive psychology and improving our mental health, which are all I'm right on board with, but not if it means we're only focusing there and we're ignoring, you know, neck down. So that mistake of ignoring the body, it's actually also a pretty easy one to start to shift because we can just start checking in with ourselves, you know, every day. Oh, what signals is my body sending me today? Oh, wow. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm really tired. Maybe I need to get an early night or yeah, I like didn't eat lunch three days this week. What can I do about that? Well, maybe I'll just make a sandwich the night before and make sure I have lunch. Like it can be, it can be challenging, but it's not rocket science to change that one. So mistake number seven is ignoring the body. Mistake number eight is waiting for permission. This is a huge one with my coaching clients because I just think it's confirmation bias, right? Like like the people who don't need to wait for permission maybe aren't feeling that they need a coach to help support them through their wellbeing journey. And this is me too, right? Like this is absolutely an experience that I'm familiar with. But over the years, I've gotten a lot better at giving myself permission to want what I want and to listen to the need that my body and mind are saying, hey, I need some attention. So I've gotten a lot better at giving myself permission and you can get better too. It's a skill that you can build up to, but I think it is a mistake a lot of teachers make, especially if you happen to be in a workplace or a home. But if you're in a, in a workplace in particular where looking after yourself is not seen as a priority and where there's a lot of other people who maybe are in different stages of life to you, different career goals, different needs and, you know, all of those differentiation factors, you know, particularly if you're in a workplace that is very different to your preferred method and or perhaps is a bit full of some toxic attitudes like wearing busy and exhaustion as a badge of honour. So you're kind of waiting for somebody at school to say that it's okay for you not to wear busy and exhausted as a badge of honour. They're never going to, right? So you have to give yourself permission or that's what I'm here for. I give you permission to look after you. So if you were waiting for permission, no more. That mistake is gone now because I've just given you permission. You are a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. So that was mistake number eight. Mistake number nine is perfectionism. 
This is a big one. I think, again, for a lot of us in the teaching profession, you know, not everyone, I know that it's not everyone, but a lot of us were the good students at school. We were the ones, you know, already striving to get A's. And then now we're in a role where our job is literally to grade people's work, to assess whether or not they've done, quote unquote, good enough or not. And so then we apply that, which is a really good skill, that judgment and evaluation. It's a good skill in certain contexts. It doesn't really serve us when we're talking about our health and well-being because it is not about perfection. And the other thing I think is Instagram and social media in general, again, also builds us up to thinking that if my real life doesn't look like that highlight feed on Instagram, which is perfect, then it's not good enough. Well, that's not true. You are enough already and always. You don't need to have a perfect Instagram feed or a perfect classroom or a perfect health and well-being routines and, and rhythms and habits and everything to be enough. You don't need any of that to be enough. You are enough already and always. So that perfectionism piece is a big one and it's a kind of a deeper underlying ongoing thing that's probably going to show up in many parts of your life. And I hate to break it to you, you can't perfectionist your way out of perfectionism. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it doesn't work that way. So one of the books that really helped me with that, and I think I read it in about 2013, because she's written several books since, is Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection. Highly recommend it if you feel like that perfectionism piece is, is one for you. Mistake number 10, similar kind of a vein, is people-pleasing. And it's similar, again, also to the waiting for permission one as well, um, is people-pleasing. So that is a common one in the client's that I speak to, I think a lot of us, uh, especially as women, have been very much conditioned to be agreeable and to want to be liked. And of course, we want to be liked. You know, this is a human need, but there's a difference between striving to be, uh, you know, professional, helpful person and being a people pleaser. And so that can be another one of these big ones that can affect many different areas of our life. And often the journey of self care involves making some habit shifts and some behavioral shifts as well as thinking and mindset shifts that are going to impact on other people, especially if you used to be the the yes woman or the yes man and now you're starting to say no more because you're starting to prioritize yourself more. It can be tricky and, and a book that, re- I mean, other than Brene Brown, which also I think would really, really help with this one, the other author that's really helped me on on my path of overcoming my people pleaser kind of tendencies is Harriet Lerner. Her book, The Dance of Anger, phenomenal. Best book I have ever read. I will put links in the show notes here. And actually, yeah, I highly recommend both of these books. And and that sense of waiting for permission, the perfectionism, the people pleasing, all of these are kind of underlying beliefs really about ourselves that we're not enough if we don't get it perfect or we're not enough if we have somehow not pleased everybody. And so these are really important ones to check in with and shift on your journey towards more self-care and more well-being in your life as a person first and a teacher second. So I highly recommend those books. I'll put all the links in the show notes. It's also something that I work on with my coaching clients because it's, look, it's a common one and I get it because I've been there, um, but it doesn't have to be your story forever either. Those, those are patterns that we can shift over time. And then mistake number 11 is one-off approaches. Thinking that we do something once and it's going to last forever. 
And that obviously is the way that I have seen a lot of well-being programs to happen in schools up until now. It's kind of like a do a PD in January and then we uh, will not think about it again until next January, which is essentially like getting a gym membership in January and going to the gym and, you know, for the first week of January for your New Year's resolution and then wondering why you're unfit in October. It's also so interesting because I feel like this is a really selective one, this sense of doing something once and, and subconsciously kind of thinking it will solve all our problems forever. It's not something that we apply to some of the really most basic things in our life, like brushing our teeth. You know, I'm sure that you don't brush your teeth once and think that you don't need to brush your teeth again until the next time you go to the dentist. Like we know that that's an every single day thing, twice a day, every single day. And that doesn't mean you can't take it, you know, maybe you forget, you fall asleep on the couch and then you just go to bed without brushing your teeth one night. But majority of the time, we know that that is an every single day habit and we can't stop that and expect to have good teeth in a month or three months or three years. And the other place that I see that we kind of know this already naturally is, you know, the laundry or cleaning. Like we we know that we can't just do the dishes on Sunday and then wonder why we don't have any clean dishes the following Friday. So we know that there are sort of hygiene-related tasks in our life that have to be ongoing all the time. And I think we need to start thinking about our health and well-being that way as well. I think we probably because of this perfectionist nature and this sense that, you know, continually raising the bar, we kind of think about well-being as an achievement and it's not, it's hygiene. And and I feel like the difference is that with hygiene tasks, we know that they are ongoing. We can't do it once and have it be done forever. But with achievement-related things, it actually, you know, it is an achievement and then it's achieved. It's done. You don't have to keep working on it. It doesn't mean you don't then set another achievement. You know, you finish grade four and then you go on to grade five and then you've achieved grade five and you go on to grade six. That's the world that we operate in. And so we bring that approach to our well-being and that's not the way well-being works. Well-being is inherently ongoing and and it is always two steps forward, one step back. And I'm going to do a whole episode around that concept soon, but really is this ongoing forever maintenance hygiene type of activity. So we need to keep that in mind when we are wondering why maybe our our well-being stuff isn't going so well. So these 11 mistakes that teachers make and schools make regarding their well-being, I'm just going to quickly run through them again for you. So number one, waiting until. Waiting until somebody else takes it over or somebody else fixes the problem or until some time in the future when it's better. Number two, not taking into account our personality and our preferences and our strengths and weaknesses and not accepting who we are and where we are in our life and the differences that we may have to the people around us. Number three, continually raising the bar and adding too many habits into the mix at once, which just makes it unattainable and unachievable. Number four, subconsciously just thinking it's just going to happen. Wellbeing's just going to happen. I won't have to do anything. I won't have to do any planning or focus on it. Number five, comparing ourselves to others who are people with different needs, people with different goals and desires, people in different stages of their career and seasons of life. Number six, focusing on the problem instead of the solution and getting really stuck in the complaining and the the blaming. Number seven, ignoring the body and kind of living just completely in our head and ignoring our physiological needs, only focusing on our psychological needs and not our physical, physiological needs as well. 
Number eight, waiting for permission from somebody else. So waiting for someone else to tell us we are allowed to put ourselves first. Number nine, perfectionism, 100% one I resonate with. Number 10, people-pleasing, also one I resonate with. And I shared a couple of resources, books that you can enjoy to help uh, hopefully start shifting those ones for you. And number 11, approaching well-being as if it is an achievement, that it's going to be a one-off thing, that once we can tick it off, it's done, instead of it being an ongoing forever hygiene kind of approach. All right, I hope that this list of common mistakes that I see teachers and schools making regarding well-being will help you uh, in your journey with well-being and resilience and cultivating more self-care and healthy habits in your life. Um, If you need some help with that, you know where I am. I would love to support you in that journey through coaching or any of my other resources that I have for you and looking forward to sharing more soon in season seven of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are so worthy of your own care. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher well-being and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.